First Samuel 5, verses 1 through 12. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the God of the ark, uh, sorry, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, First Samuel 5. I realized that was somewhat of a lengthy uh, section, and it was the entire chapter mm-hmm. of First uh, Samuel 5 that I just read. And so, uh, Will, why don't, you, why don't you help us get up to speed here real quick on where we are in the story, and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so we're rolling out of chapter four, as numeric order would have it. <laughs> and uh, in chapter four, love it. We uh, we find Israel and the Philistines in battle with one another, and uh, basically things are not going well for Israel. Someone has the bright idea of bringing the Ark of the Lord of Hosts into battle as a, mm. a little good luck charm to get a little extra juice against the Philistines. And so in sort of the first bout of battle, uh, the Israelites lose, I, I believe, 3,000, or sorry, 4,000 men on the field of battle. Hmm. And then in this second bout, it is a absolute bloodbath. 30,000 Hebrew soldiers are killed. And Hophni and Phinehas, the corrupt sons of Eli, they're actually the ones who come uh, pouncing in with the Ark of the Covenant, and they are killed, and the Ark is stolen uh, and taken by the Philistines back to Ashdod. And then when Eli hears about this, he falls off a chair and breaks his neck. 
Yeah. Um, in great Old Testament fashion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Phineas, I believe, yeah, Phineas, his wife bears a child hmm. name, and she names him Ichabod as she dies, which means the glory has departed. Wow. Or without glory. So yeah. it's a it's a grim moment for Israel. It is. And I think, you know, Phine- Phineas's wife naming the child Ichabod mm-hmm. is actually very telling here. Yeah. Um, because I- Ichabod means, as as Will just said, the glory has departed. And so the the Ark of the Covenant, it really represents the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So in, in the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord, as it were, was was confined to one space and time. Mm-hmm. And that was the tabernacle in the uh, in the beginning of the Old Testament and then moving on to the temple, mm-hmm. which was built by Solomon. Yeah, And so it's different in the New Testament, different in the New Covenant, because the Spirit of God is now everywhere mm-hmm. uh, and the Spirit of God is now indwelling all of those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus. But in the Old Testament, the, the Spirit of God confined himself... Mm-hmm to the tabernacle or the temple. And and so particularly um, within that, within that uh, tabernacle or temple, there was, you know, there was the outer court and then the inner court. And then you had the Holy of Holies, which is like Mm -hmm. the very inside of the tabernacle or the temple. And the Ark of the Covenant would, would remain there. And, and so the Ark of the Covenant would, it represented the presence of the God, uh, the presence of the Lord uh, among the Israelites and particularly in the tabernacle or temple. Yeah. And so when the Ark of the Covenant was taken from the from the tabernacle at this point or the temple at this point, um, it, it is as if like God's presence is being removed mm-hmm. from Israel. Mm-hmm. And that's why Phineas's wife, who apparently was uh, more in tune with the Lord than her husband was, <laughs> yeah. but she named her child Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. The presence of the Lord has left Israel. And so that brings us to chapter five, and it's and it's a very interesting uh, scene that's kind of going on here. And I know sometimes when I listen to Our Daily Rhythm and I'm kind of listening to the verses, I don't always capture or, or I get distracted and I'm like, wait, what's going on in the story? And so, you know, just a little recap, but like, so the Philistines take, take, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and put it in this city called Ashdod. So mm-hmm. Ashdod is made up of Philistines. And so the Philistines take it back there. And in in the city of Ashdod, they have this temple and the God of that temple is called Dagon. And they put the Ark next to Dagon and they wake up and when they wake up, Dagon is like face down, <laughs> uh, like in front of the yeah. Ark of the Covenant. Kind of crazy. And then they, you know, set him back up, put him in his place. Mm. And it's like maybe like there was a little earthquake or something that caused him to fall over and they put him back in his place. And they wake up the next day and he, not only has he like fallen down on his face, but it says that his 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 head and both of his hands were cut off. So you just have this like trunk of a statue that's now face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, obviously the the biblical uh, or the writers of the Bible would be interpreting this as, mm. you know, the sovereignty of the Lord, or the power of the Lord. So when the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of the Lord, when the presence of the Lord comes in contact with other 
gods with other idols, it's not good for those other gods and those other idols. Yeah. Um, they, they fall down and are, are no longer able to stand in the presence of, of the Lord in, in the presence of the, of the ark. And so, so that's kind of what it is. And, and then they start to like move the uh, Ark of the Covenant around from city to city and start just having these yeah. like terrible things. It's a good game happen. of like hot potato. Yeah. With the, the Ark of the Covenant. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Little hot potato and it gets really hot. For it gets all these really cities. hot. Yeah. yeah. The panic starts happening. Yeah. Like tumors start breaking out yeah. on all these people. And so it's really, it's really an interesting thing. But uh, yeah. Kind of curious if if uh, you know there's other things that you kind of notice in the passage, Will. Yeah, well, the central theme that is really carrying through this narrative that we're walking through is reverence and fear of the Lord, hmm. and, and specifically Israel's lack thereof, and sort of the you know the the fear that is already there in the Philistine nation, and then what. Um, the Lord even brings to bear greater. And, you know, I, I think we, we were kind of talking about the Lord is he's really demonstrating his complete autonomy and independence here. You know, a lot of times in the New Te- or in the Old Testament, there are these passages where the Lord is mocking idols. Hmm. He says somebody, you know, there, there are a bunch of these passages that kind of talk about somebody takes a a tree and carves wood out of it and lays it over with gold and then bows down to it and says that it's his creator, you know, Mm. like it, the, just the foolishness of idolatry. Mm. And, you know, these pagan nations would kind of treat these handmade things like Dagon as these good luck charms. And that is really exactly what Israel does in bringing the Ark of the Covenant into battle. Like that is so against, you know, Mosaic law, right? Like the Ark of the Covenant stays in the Holy of Holies. Like that is where it is and where it will be. Hmm. And, And, you know, basically we just see like they defile that law for hopefully hoping for personal gain. Yeah. And, you know, and so, Basically, the Lord in this passage, he leaves the Israelite people, goes to a foreign nation, Mm. and then he completely wreaks havoc. And he's going from city to city in this nation, Mm. you know, with with this ark. And, you know, he's the Lord of hosts, but he has no Israelite army. He has no human nation that is carrying him around and doing Mm -hmm. like this is totally just the hand of the Lord being heavy upon these people. Mm. And then uh, we're going to see tomorrow that he actually returns back also by himself. By himself. And, and, you know, I think the on a practical scale of like, okay, what does what does this mean for us? It is this story reorients our view of God mm. because so much of the time our sacrifices, our offerings to the Lord, you know, we we kind of treat God like this divine house plant that we <laughs> kind of feed, or maybe even better, like an oxen or you know, like cattle that we feed in water, and then when we need something, like when we need to plow the field, we we pull them out, right, right, the right. And that that's how these pagan gods work, but that is not how the Lord of Hosts work, you know. Mm. The Lord does not, you know, there's, uh, I think, I can't remember which psalm it is, but it talks about like, 
the Lord does not drink the blood of goats. Like that's, you're not watering him. You're not sustaining him, Mm. but bring to the Lord an offering of thanksgiving. Mm. And, you know, Psalm 51 talks about the Lord desires nothing but a broken and contrite heart. That's right. And so basically reorienting our, our expressions of worship away from these, you know, selfish, what can I get out of God? What does God need from me? Back right. towards the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with mm. all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That is the fulfillment of the law. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I I, I think oftentimes our view of God is uh, very small. I, I, I've thought a lot about how people actually view God and what actually leads you to view God the way you do. Yeah. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot in culture. There's a lot in movies. There's a lot in books about God, about the afterlife, about, you know, this like kind of spiritual power that, uh, moves in the world and, you know, Mm. and, and then there's like totally secular ideas like karma and different things like that. But I think they kind of, start to like blend together with our view of God yeah. and they can affect how we see, how we see God. And so it's always helpful uh, to try to think, am I, am I truly like getting my view of God from scripture? Mm-hmm. And so I think this is one of these passages that it, it helps you to reorient. That was the word you used to kind mm-hmm. of reorient our minds to who God is. And I, and I think, I think God is, through this, I think he's reorienting Israel yeah. to say, you guys have been treating the Ark of the Covenant as this good luck charm mm-hmm. that, and, and that is not what it's intended to be. Yeah. Uh, this Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of the Lord and you desperately need it mm. in your midst. Yeah, totally. um, and so, and so it, it, you know, it's very much like broadening Israel's view of who God is. And like you said, I mean, we're going to see, we're going to see tomorrow. It's amazing that like God actually returns on his own. Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting story. And um, yeah, we have got more to come and we'll be looking at the Ark of the Covenant even more. Heck yeah. So for Will Carlisle, I'm Barrett Fisher. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for Our Daily Rhythm.